Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. The death of the pure and spotless Lamb of God, coupled with His resurrection, released God's forgiveness to all who would receive Jesus' payment on the cross in faith. To all who would repent of their sin. Repent means to, I was going this way, I was chasing the world, and then I turned. I turned my face towards Christ, and I placed my belief in Him, and I received what He did on the cross for me. Now I'm going this way. I'm going with the Lord. What did Jesus always say to His disciples when He first met? Follow me. He says that to you today. Follow me. The Apostle John began with his Gospel with this truth. If you remember back to last summer when we started this entire book, go back to John 1, verse 12. John records this, "...but as many as received Him, Jesus, to them He gave the right or the authority to become children of God to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood or by the will of the flesh nor of the will of man. Not, we're not talking physically here. We're not talking Nicodemus had a... You remember, what? Born again? <laughs> I, I'm an old man. How am I going to go back to my mother's womb? This doesn't make sense. And Jesus is going, we're not talking of the world. We're not talking of the flesh here. Not by the will of man or by the will of the flesh, but of God. This is a spiritual rebirth all born physically once obviously but not all of us are born a second time that's a choice that you make have you received jesus as your lord and savior the answer to that question will be the most important answer that you ever give in your entire lifetime because when time is over and you stand before christ forgiven and unforgiven we're all going to bend a knee and cry out jesus is lord to the glory of the Father. We're all going to do that. But not all of us are going on our way to heaven. Here's, here's an easy way to understand this. Believing plus receiving. See, it's not enough to believe. The demons do that and they shudder. But they, they just simply believe. Believe plus receive equals becoming. How do I become a child of God? Well, right there. It's written right there. First must believe Jesus is Lord that He died for your sin, and that He rose from the grave. And if you receive that penalty, that payment for, for death, that payment for our penalty, if you receive that and make it your own, you don't do anything for it, you just claim the free gift. Then you become a child of God. Scene one is the crucifixion of Christ. Scene two is the execution of Christ. And now the final scene, scene three, is the burial of Christ. Verse 31, we continue on. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, the preparation day is Friday, the day before Passover, at sunset, they have to have everything in place. They're not allowed, the Jews, not allowed to get anything, any work done. So this is the preparation day, the morning and the afternoon. 
because it was the preparation day, that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day. That the Jews, because you can't have bodies on, on the Passover. So when you executed someone, if it happened to be on a Friday, you had to hurry the crucifixion up. Can't have people screaming their brains out on the Passover. Much less a dead body would defile everything. And so, because it was preparation day, that the day should not, or the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day. It was Passover. It's not only the Sabbath, but it was a high Sabbath, which is Passover. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So again, going back to that description, pushing up with the legs to get a breath and then slumping back down. And this is how you breathed on the cross, up and down with your legs. So the Jews go, hey, we can't have it. We gotta, we gotta, hey, look, we got to go. So uh, we need to break these guys' legs so that they'll die. Their bodies can be taken off and we can go along with our, our celebration that we're going to have, our feast. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with Jesus. But then when they came to Jesus and saw that He was already dead, they did not break His legs. But one of the soldiers pierced His side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And He who has seen has testified, and His testimony is true. And He knows that He is telling the truth so that you may believe. Those are John's words. John is saying, listen, I'm the author of this book. I'm an eyewitness to what happened. I saw each and everything that happened to Jesus. I saw the nails driven through His hand. I saw Him writhing on the cross. I heard Him cry out seven times, making seven statements. I saw that they did not break His legs. They broke the thieves' legs, for they were still alive. But they did put a spear into His side. I watched that. And as they pulled the spear out, blood and water poured from the chest of Jesus. He said, I've seen this, and I'm giving you a witness of this so that you may believe. Why is that important? Because if Jesus didn't die, we are still in our sins. Some would say He only swooned. No, Jesus is dead at this point. For these things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. And I quote, not one of His bones shall be broken. From the Old Testament, 700 years prior to this. And again, another Scripture says, they shall look on Him, Jesus, whom they pierced. 700 years. How could you? Isn't that? That's just amazing. Unless you understand that God knew every second that would happen that day. And He prophesied how this would happen 700 years before it did. Verse 38, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus at night, we read of him in chapter 3, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes about a hundred pounds. It's a heavy sack. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it 
in strips of linen. They would put the spices on the Jesus' body and then they would wrap the spices into the wrappings. And each wrap layer, they would add more spices and wrap it again and add more spices and wrap it again. So it was like a cocoon. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where He was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. It was brand new. Just 50 yards from where the possible site for Golgotha is, now, the one that I showed you earlier on the screen is a garden which archaeologists have unearthed. It can't be 50 yards from where they believe Golgotha was to this little garden they unearthed. The reason they knew it was a garden is that as they dug down, they realized that there was a deeper well, and they followed that all the way down to the bottom where there's water, and that water would be used for the garden area that surrounded it. And they suddenly realized this is a... This is like a first century garden. Up against the 30-foot tall hill that surrounds this garden, this about a two-acre garden, they discovered a stone tomb hewn from the solid sandstone of the hillside. Only the very rich could afford a tomb like this, a garden. And Scripture supports that Joseph of Arimathea was a very wealthy man. The custom of the day was to chisel out a bed-like resting place for the body of the deceased to lay with a stone pillow so that the head would be tilted up. Mark 16, as you walk into this, and I've walked into it four times, four occasions, as you walk into, uh, you have to bend over because the little Jewish people were only about 5'5", five, 5'4", five, five, back then. And so the doors were pretty short. A guy like me can get a, a headache real fast if I'm not paying attention. And um, you bend over and you go in and uh, as you go through that doorway on the right is that bed that was hewn out for the body. Mark 16 confirms that as the disciples entered, that the body was to their right. Interesting. But at the end of the day, whether this is the place or not does not matter. It matters nothing. Why? Because the Savior wasn't there. He's risen, as the angels declared. Yeah. He only spent a, a few nights there. The custom of that day was to wrap the body and then roll the stone away in front of the hole there. Back to our story in, in verse 42. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. What was it nearby? It was nearby Golgotha. It's interesting to note here that the soldiers at the cross didn't do what they were told to do. And they did do that which they were not told to do. Here's what I mean. First, they were ordered to break the legs of all three men who were being crucified that day. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that He was already dead. So they decided not to break His legs. Why? Because Scripture is always true. So they bypass Jesus and just do the two thieves' legs. Second, they were not instructed to pierce Jesus with a spear, but they did that anyway. They don't even know why, probably. I had to ask why they did this, and here's what I could come up with. Because centuries-old biblical prophecies had to be fulfilled. 
every prophecy in the Bible has or will be fulfilled at the, by the end of time. In various scriptures pertaining to Passover lambs and the Messiah's death, we read that not one bone must be broken. Not one. Regarding the spear, even that was taken care of and prophesied. Both the books of Zechariah and Revelation both record the Savior being speared. Here's Zechariah 12.10. Then they will look upon Me whom they pierced. 700 years before that, Isaiah would promise that. Zechariah. The fact of the matter is that God is in control and He controls even the evil men and He uses them to complete His purpose. When we look at, at, at horrific things that men do, and we say, how could this ever happen? There is no good in this. If you look close enough, or if you, la- or if you live long enough, many times you can look back and go, if that hadn't happened, this wouldn't ha- have happened. If the Jews hadn't been martyred and killed in World War II, would they have ever returned back to their homeland on their own? Not likely. But even God can use such a horrific event to put into the heart of the Jew to go home, to return. John's reference to the blood and water pouring out from the wound affirms that Jesus' body was, in fact, flesh. Right after Jesus ascends back up to the Father, almost immediately some of the teachers, false teachers, began this rumor that Jesus didn't have a fleshly body. It was only spiritual body. He was like a ghost. That's what they were, and people were, what? You know, and really? And John goes, of course not. He had a flesh body. I saw with my own eyes them pierce him. I saw the blood and the water pour down his, his chest. No, he had a physical body too. But John may have been providing another deeper meaning when he describes this. The blood speaks of justification for sin. Again, Hebrews says, Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. So we see the blood come out. And the water speaks to sanctification or the washing away of something. In this case, the old sinful life in favor of the new life that Christ offers. When the unbelievers at Calvary that day were finished and Jesus had died, His friends... Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus went and asked for Jesus' body that they might bury it with honor. They handled His body from that moment on. They carried Him to this tomb that was nearby. And they laid Him on the slab of stone. Women came to assist in wrapping the body with spices that day. And of course, the disciples touched Jesus. Thomas got to touch his wounds. Wow. Listen, no one believer from the moment Christ died has ever touched, as far as we know from Scripture, no one has ever touched the body of Christ but, uh, but believers. Joseph and Nicodemus were believers. We're told that right here in John. The women who responded to the tomb clearly were believers. And the disciples who touched Jesus afterwards, they're all believers. I'll close with this. Joseph was a man of mystery. 
He had come to believe in Jesus, but at a distance because he feared getting kicked out of the temple. He didn't want to go face to face with the Pharisees, so he believed in his heart. He was a wealthy man, Scripture tells us, and could have afforded a prestigious tomb. Every wealthy person wanted to be buried inside the walls of Jerusalem, so they purchased their burial spots inside the walls. So why did this very wealthy man purchase a tomb outside the walls? Interesting. And on top of that, I asked, why would you buy a tomb right next to where someone's getting crucified? Can you imagine holding the services there that day and hearing someone screaming at the top of their lung in pain? Why? This doesn't make sense that they would be so close. And the tomb had never been used before. If this was an old tomb, it would have other corpses in there from family members that had gone before. What an odd place for a rich man to want to be buried unless the tomb was never met for him. Perhaps Joseph hadn't purchased the tomb for himself. Perhaps, and I'm just wondering here, but Scripture doesn't tell us, perhaps he bought it for his Lord's death. He, standing in the crowd listening, would have heard Jesus refer to his death. Oh, he's going to die. Oh my word, he's, he's, the Old Testament has talked all about this. He's the lamb. Oh my word, it's not just lambs that we're sacrificing, but the Messiah would, oh, this makes sense. Could he have gone out then and purchased this tomb? Seems likely to me. Joseph and Nicodemus would have read the references to Christ, the Lamb of God. They would have suspected that he would be slain because even in the Old Testament, there's enough information. They didn't know what crucifixion was back 700 years before this was invented, but they knew some horrific event was going to come. They would torture the Messiah. Interesting to note that the Jews on this preparation day would take the lambs and slaughter them and put them on the altar. They would sacrifice. The blood would run from the altar that, that afternoon. Do you know what time that was? Always at 3 p.m. Why? Again, back to the Jewish law. You can't, can't, have de- you can't touch dead things and go into Passover. So they would sacrifice these lambs, put them on the altar. Then they would leave after that. They would spiritually cleanse themselves so that they could eat the Passover meal. So it had to be done at 3 p.m. every year. Do you know what time Jesus was crucified? That He died? He's probably put early morning, maybe even noon on the cross. But remember, they're hurrying, trying to hurry this up. Scripture tells us He died at 3 p.m. The exact moment when the lambs were dying. As He shed His blood, the lambs were shedding their blood. (laughs) And the final sacrifice was made that day for sin. Can you imagine these two men going, it all makes sense now. All of it. The Old Testament. Do you remember remember Isaiah? I can see him. And this verse, and this verse. Oh, and Scripture says it's all happening right now, right before our eyes. Wow. What had convinced these two to become followers of Christ? 
Well, in my study this week, I read a lot, but one of, uh, one of my authors that I read is a guy named Warren Wiersbe. Love Chuck Swindoll and, of course, David Jeremiah and all those. I stand on the shoulder of giants. But Warren Wiersbe wrote these words. I'll summarize it for you. Because they knew Jesus was the perfect and final Lamb of God that would ever be sacrificed for our sins, God had prepared these two believers for the awesome privilege of being the caretakers of the Lord's body. Joseph, at God's direction, had chose the burial tomb according to the prophecy that he knew. Let me read to you one of the final prophecies here regarding Jesus' death that was fulfilled that day. We're going to go back to Isaiah as we have. Isaiah has so much to say about the death of, of Christ 700 years before it happened. Was this referring to Joseph and Nicodemus? I think it's a, it's a strong likelihood. Here's Isaiah 53.9. And they, not, not that this they is two men or more, and they made his grave with the wicked. They made his grave with the wicked. What does that mean? Remember, the tomb was nearby Golgotha. Who was being crucified? Criminals. And they made Christ's grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. But with the rich at his death? Oh, wait a minute. Joseph and Nicodemus were very rich men. How interesting that this prophecy, you know, I've just read over that so many times. And while the evidence here points to these men having prepared for the death and burial of Jesus Christ, they were no doubt prepared for his resurrection as well. So, my question for you today have you prepared yourself to meet Jesus? We all have an appointment with Him. You'll either meet Him as your Savior and your friend. That's what I recommend. Or you'll meet Him as your judge and executioner. That's not the way you want to meet Jesus. The difference between the two? The prior have surrendered their life to Christ. They've made a U-turn and they're following Jesus. That's the difference. The latter are those who reject this free gift that's been put before them, that's on the table. Take this. Believe plus receive it and become a child of God. But they said, no, I don't want that. And for them, eternal suffering and separation for God awaits them when they pass from this life to the next. Choose today, but choose wisely. It's the end of the beginning Jesus is in the tomb. This is where we're going to leave Him today. But Jesus was faithful in life. He was faithful in death. And He will be faithful that first resurrection morning. Come back next week for the rest of the story. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your promises, for they are true. It might take 700 years for them to come true, but they always come true, for You are a faithful and truthful God. And in Your timing, everything happens just the way You say it will. We hear the verse that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slain before the foundations of the world. It was Your plan always for this to happen. And we thank You that You love us so much. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You are faithful, and You will bring us home to You. For those who've believed and received God, we are Your children, and You love us, and You paid a price that is too awful to even realize at times. Your love is endless. Your your love has no depth, no width. It's beyond our wildest imagination as humans. But one day we will experience when we see You face to face and we worship You, we will experience and understand that great love that saved us. Thank You, Father, for that. And Lord, now as we walk out of here, those of us who have given our lives to You, surrendered, that we believed and received, help us go out into this world and help others understand that there is a God who loves them and He paid the penalty with His own Son. He paid our debt. Help us to be about the Father's business when You return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Scripture tells us that today is the day of salvation. Why today? Because none of us are promised tomorrow. Not to be morbid, but tomorrow, any number of us could be gone. The second you go into eternity, your eternity is sealed with the decision you made when you were alive down here. Receive that gift. I wouldn't leave here. It's too dangerous to leave this building without having accepted that gift and made it yours. Of course, if you're watching us online or on the, listening to us on the radio, if you're here in the Treasure Valley, come see us and, and worship with us. God bless you guys. Take care. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.